Hello, and welcome to the Her and Him podcast. I'm Dale. And I'm Tamara. And when two theologians get married, what you get is a podcast. Well, normally we record our podcast a few weeks in advance, and we try to stay ahead of it, but we're actually kind of recording this episode in real time on Sunday, May 31st. So we wanted to kind of talk about some of the things that are happening in America right now, and they're happening around the world that are troubling, and... Uh, really require some wisdom, and uh, we don't necessarily have all the wisdom in the world, but we want to engage in the process of kind of working through some of these things together. This is going to get posted two days after we are talking about this, so things may have even progressed further than this conversation right now, but we wanted to get as close to the action of what's going on uh, in real time and, and kind of just talk about it. Right. So over the course of the last few weeks, one of the biggest conversations in our household that has continued to come up over and over and over again is the conversation of racial justice. And it's been hard. It's not something that you can just have one conversation and be done with it. This is heavy. This is deep. This is complex. But it's conversations that need to be happening and they need to be happening over and over and over again. Um, And I think most of that really started with watching the videos, watching the videos of the deaths of George Floyd and of Ahmaud Arbery. Dale, what were your kind of initial responses to watching those videos? I mean, obviously horror and shock. And these uh, aren't the the only two names. These are uh, two names Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd are really two names in a broad tapestry of blood and violence that's been perpetrated against people of color throughout uh, the centuries and even throughout you know this past year and these past couple of years. But uh, specifically talking about George Floyd and watching that video, I actually didn't watch the video until a few days after this became a conversation. I knew what the video contained. I knew the events surrounding. I had read, you know, articles. I had read, you know, opinion pieces and kind of had an understanding of the situation. But I honestly didn't want to watch it because I knew what the video contained. So I just finally uh, forced myself to watch it because... Uh, I really felt like to ignore the the pain would would be to kind of take the easy way out because I don't have to deal with it. I won't deal with it. I won't, you know, enter into this. So I felt like it was important for me to watch it. It was just uh, beyond disturbing to see a man who was completely defenseless, who was not resisting, who was saying, please, I can't breathe, please, I can't breathe, please, please, I'm going to die, with the knee of a law enforcement officer firmly planted on the back of his neck until he lay motionless and eventually he was taken to the hospital and he died. So watching this video on the heels of seeing Ahmaud Arbery, who was going for a run and two men just rolled up on him in a pickup truck and literally shot him in the street and killed him, these aren't new things that are happening to people of color. These are the kinds of things that have been happening for literally hundreds of years. I remember going to school and learning about Emmett Till and seeing the the pictures of what a mob of people did to him for allegedly whistling at a white woman. And so this none of this is new, but there there is now this 
video evidence that we see it happening in in progress that has really uh, brought this to the fore of a lot of people's minds and it really ought to have been at the fore of our minds before because there are hundreds and thousands of men and women of color who have experienced these things who've had their their children die their brothers die their sisters die at the hands of racial injustice uh, it's just now we we're seeing it caught on tape and so it's a part of this systemic issue and it, we just shudder to think how many people for whom there was no video evidence yeah it's it's heart-wrenching i know when i first watched Ahmad's video that i it felt like it wasn't real as I was watching and I was thinking, surely this, this is a movie. This isn't real life. This couldn't have possibly happened to someone. And I had watched it maybe a few hours before bed. And throughout the middle of the night, I would just wake up thinking about it. I just couldn't shake it. You can't shake what you've seen. And then watching George Floyd's video and how disturbing that was and how there were people in the middle of the day, surrounding him, saying, he can't breathe, he can't breathe, get off of him. Like, he's not resisting anymore. Whether he was or wasn't in the beginning is no longer an issue. Get off of him, he can't breathe. And I couldn't even imagine being those people, standing there watching it, and how helpless you feel. For certain people like me, I would instantly want to take action. I would instantly want to help him and fix it. But you can't, this is law enforcement. What are you going to do? Attack a police officer? Like that's not going to go over well. You actually have no option. There's nothing you can do besides stand on the curb. You can voice your opinion and they did and they recorded it. And we are now sitting here having this conversation because of what they did. But I just can't even imagine having stood on the side watching this happen and feeling helpless as you watch someone's life be taken before you. Yeah. And so these two events and the many others like them are horrifying. But I think it's so important for us to talk about the racial context of these killings. Because there are those who have public platforms who would say that these are not racially motivated killings. There are good white cops and they're bad white cops and there are good black people and there are bad black people but we should just focus on the good in people and these are isolated incidents it's true that there are good white people and there are bad white people and there are good black people and there are bad black people however it's irrelevant to the context of what we're talking about here what we're talking about is a context of systemic racism that is centuries long and when we look at an event of the killing of George Floyd of Ahmaud Arbery, of the many others like them, what we're seeing is the dehumanization of a person created in the image of God. But also what we're viewing, in a larger sense, is a, a replay of the dehumanization of an entire people. Right. For some of us, or maybe even many of us, we are not the ones that are being oppressed. 
This is not something we're dealing with on a day-to-day basis. It's not something that we're having to sit down with our children and tell them, this is how you act if you ever encounter a police officer. Knowing that if you do anything other than listen to them, whether you were right or whether you were wrong, if you do any actions that could be perceived as resisting or fighting back or anything other than submitting to them, that could mean the end of your life in that day. And I couldn't even imagine being a mom and having to sit down and talk to my kid, my son, and telling him, like, if you were to encounter a police officer, this is exactly what you have to do. Because the color of your skin could mean your life ends at the end of that encounter with that police officer. And so a lot of us aren't in the category of the oppressed. And so it's really easy to turn a blind eye or to say, I'm going to stop watching, you know, the news or stop scrolling through social media. I had seen someone say that. And it's, it's just so negative. I just, I just, <laughs> right. I just don't want to look at it. Right. And it's so like, you, it must be nice that you don't have to think about exactly. it. Exactly. That's actually a privilege. The fact that you just have to turn off your TV and it goes away. That's a privilege. For people who are living in this every single day, that's not a privilege. And for Christians, we are called to fight for justice for those who are being oppressed. Even if you are not the active oppressor, you play a role in finding justice for those who are being oppressed. And so Christians, there really shouldn't be a question of how do I act or what is my point of view on this situation. People, an entire people group, an entire race is being targeted and is being treated unfairly and is being dehumanized before our very eyes. And we are called as believers to fight for them, to fight for their justice. And as we turn to scripture, that's very clear. Yeah, I mean, because there are some that would hear us talking about this and say, well, that's not really my place. That's not really for me to get into that. Like, I'm just here to preach the gospel. I'm just here to, you know, tell people to put their faith in Jesus. And if you put your faith in Jesus, then, you know, in Galatians it says there's neither male nor female nor Jew or Gentile or whomever else, but we are all one in Christ Jesus. And so uh, that's what's really going to solve the problem. And that's true to a certain extent. Uh, But there is a responsibility on the part of followers of God to step into injustice and to see what we can do to bring it uh, aright. And there's a number of places we see this in Scripture, and we have a smattering of verses that we can share with you. One is in Isaiah, and uh, in the context of Isaiah 1 is God is speaking judgment over Israel uh, because of the evil and wicked things that they have have done. And what he says in verse 17 of chapter 1, he says, Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. When he talks about the fatherless and the widow, what, what he's talking about is the people in society that aren't the people in the position of power. The people who are being subjected to the, the whims of the people who are in the majority group. So take up the cause of those who, who are struggling, who are being oppressed, who are lacking rights and privileges that are afforded to you. And uh, this isn't just an Old Testament thing, because Jesus talked about this in Luke, uh, Luke eleven forty two. He says, Woe to you Pharisees, because you give a tenth of your mint, rue, and other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice 
and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving uh, the former undone. And so Jesus says there, he says, you know what? You go to church every Sunday. You never say a bad word. You tithe. You give generously to the church. You are a good person uh, you know, in the community, more or less. But you have neglected justice. You have neglected fighting for the marginalized. You have neglected fighting for the oppressed. And so you have ignored the weightier matters of the law. And so if you just want to be a good, a good Christian, go to church, read your Bible every day for 15 minutes, you're neglecting the weightier matters of the law if you don't care about the, the plight of the oppressed, and in this case, people of color in America. Right. And we even see in Proverbs 24, 24 to 25, it says, Whoever says to the guilty, you are innocent, will be cursed by peoples and denounced by nations. But it will go well with those who convict the guilty, and rich blessing will come on them. And so that's important to realize, like, we want to look at the the people who are guilty and proclaim that they're innocent. We want to pretend things aren't happening around us that are, that are happening and, you know, turn a blind eye to these things. Yeah. And, and that verse in particular, when you say to the wicked that you are innocent, I feel like that's so often what we do when we say something like, you know what? I don't see color. There are good, there are good white people. There are bad white people. There are good black people. There are bad black people that totally sidesteps the issue. And what it's saying is that, you know, we're all innocent here, and it ne- neglects the context of the fact that this nation was formed on the backs of slaves, that even after slaves were emancipated for another hundred years, they lived under the oppression of Jim Crow. Uh, they were lynched in the street by the KKK. They were oppressed in every single way imaginable. They were denied opportunities at every conceivable corner. And while we are continuing to make strides forward, that work is far from done, that the the roots of that oppression run deep, that the roots of that white privilege run deep, that you can't be in the place of privilege for literally hundreds of years. And because Congress passed, you know, a, a certain number of legislative wins for equality, that all of that history goes away, that history remains. And for us to deny that is to say to the wicked, you are innocent. And when we do it, that means ruin for us. And there's one more verse in Deuteronomy 27, 19. It says, Cursed is anyone who withholds justice from the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow. And all the people shall say, Amen. So if you're withholding justice from anyone who is oppressed, from anyone who is not receiving equal liberty, then God says, you are cursed. That is a cursed thing our call to fight for justice for the oppressed is really a calling from the Bible itself. And as Christians who hold to the word of God and to hold to the counsel of scripture, we have to take that and say, what does that look like in my day? And what does that look like where I live right now in 2020? And we are seeing it unfold before our eyes. And like you said, Dale, it's something that is not new. The truth of it has become more available to us because of 
the digital world that we live in. And so we can record these things and share them and then they're shared all across the world instantly. We're made aware of these things quicker and we actually get to see them as they happen. It's a lot different to be able to visually watch something and experience that and for you to be filled with emotion than it is to even hear a story of it having been told. And as we are given this information, as we are made aware of the great injustices that are happening around us, we are responsible for that knowledge that we now have. We can't just say it's not happening. We can't say that we're not aware of it. Like, you are aware of it. Everyone is aware of it, and everyone is going to be held responsible. And even more so as Christians, For people who say like the gospel is here to bring freedom and to bring salvation, part of what that looks like is caring for other people. And so you can't say you are pro-life, that you are pro-people, that you are pro-humanity if you don't care about the lives of people that are being taken merely by the color of their skin. Right. So we can campaign against something like abortion, and I think we should, but... If you're more likely to post and protest because you had to wear a mask for COVID-19 than you are to be upset and to do the same for someone like George Floyd or Ahmaud Arbery, then you really have to question in your own heart whether you really are truly pro-life. Are you pro-birth or are you pro-life? Are you pro the life of someone like George Floyd? Are you pro the life of someone like Ahmaud Arbery? Are you pro life for every person of color who's lived their entire life with this present reality of, of the knowledge of, of their race and the, the way it can limit opportunities or even put them in danger? Because I know for me, I'm never going to have to have a conversation with my son whose skin is deeply white. I'm never going to have a, have to have a conversation with him to, to say, like, because of your, the color of your skin, there's going to be right. situations that are not safe for you. Like, if I wanted to, I could never talk to my son about race, and it would never endanger mm. his safety. Whereas if yeah. you're a person of color, you need to talk to your son about race. Otherwise, it it could lead to a situation, if he's not equipped, to where it could lead to his harm because there's different standard of living. And for us to deny to deny that reality is it's really to, it's to gaslight an entire people, right? To so say you're crazy that this isn't really a problem. You're just making stuff up, and you you can't look into the the faces of of people who are suffering and say your suffering is not real and your suffering is not valid. It is real and it is valid, and we can we can talk history. We can throw anecdotal evidence, you know, say like, well, you know, look at so-and-so who's black and, you know, they are, you know, rich and wealthy and successful and, you know, all these other things. And we can, we can do all of these things, but you, you can't look into the face of someone who's experienced racism and, and deny the truth of their reality. Right. And a large part of what we're seeing right now, at least for Dale and myself, as we are 
seeing this all unfold in real time and seeing people's responses in real time, what we have seen, and it it could not be the most accurate survey, I suppose, but what we've seen from Christians is actually like two responses. We've either seen those Christians who are completely outraged and filled with this righteous anger for what is happening, the injustices that are happening to fellow humans, fellow image bearers of God, and they are completely outraged. Um, And it is Christians who are white, Christians who are black, Christians who are Mexican, Christians who are Asian, like all across the nationalities and races, you have people who are outraged by what is happening. And then you have others who you actually didn't hear from them for a while when the videos kind of started to go out and people started to post their outrage about this and saying like things need to change. There's a group of Christians that you didn't hear from until more recently. Now we're hearing from them because of the looting and the burning and the robbing um, that seem to be going alongside protesting. Yeah, and this isn't to say that you're a bad person if you post or you don't post, but it is an interesting insight to the soul, the things that you were silent about and then the things you are vocally outraged about. So not to say, like, if you you check this box and you hit this marker because, oh, I posted about this or that or whatever, um, but it it is a litmus test of what is true in your heart in, in many cases. Right, because what you're seeing is both groups of people are expressing anger and they're expressing frustration and they're expressing outrage. But their concern and their focus of that anger and that outrage is... Who are you mad at? Exactly. And so you have some who are mad because a police officer who is sworn to protect and to keep safe and to serve that community did the exact opposite of what he was sworn to do. He took a man's life and that should cause outrage. That should cause righteous anger within your soul as you watch that. But then you have other people who they're outraged because of the manner in which people are protesting. They're outraged because they're saying that's not the way you're supposed to protest. That's not helping anything And by no means are we saying looting and robbing and burning down buildings is okay. But by focusing your outrage there, you are losing sight of the bigger conversation. Yeah. And I think for me, and, you know, I might get hit from both sides on on this, but when I first saw, you know, there's there's looting, there's, you know, buildings that are being burned down and, you know, a lot of uh, damage that's happening. At first, I... I was like, oh, man, I wish that that wasn't happening. And I still wish, you know, it wasn't it wasn't happening and that wasn't the case so that there could be no whether fair or unfair argument levied against Black Lives Mm -hmm. Matter Mm -hmm. in their cause to bring about justice. But then the more I thought about that, I thought, well, that therein lies the problem, right? Because uh, in order to be taken half as seriously Oftentimes, people of color have to be twice as far above reproach right. as as white people do or as a dominant people group does. Then in order to be taken half as seriously, in, in, in other words, if there's a single blemish on a, a, a person of color, 
then all of a sudden that that can be used against them in, in essence to gaslight people of color and to blame the victim rather than addressing the, the true and genuine issue. It's like this. If I was abusing Tamara repeatedly over the course of months and of years and uh, everyone that she told about it didn't listen, every avenue she tried to, to take to, to stop it was was thwarted until you know one day she couldn't take it anymore and she picked up a pot and she threw it at me and, and it hit me in the face and gave me a black eye. Is it wrong that she threw a pot at my face and gave me a black eye? Perhaps. But you're kind of missing the point, aren't you? Right. And that's the issue, too, is when you look at who's outraged by it, they're usually the group of people that was silent in regards to the taking of these people's lives. We have voices and... Some voices are more powerful than others. Unfortunately, we live in a fallen world and that's, that's the reality of what we're facing. But we get to choose how we use those voices and we get to choose um, what it is that we're going to stand for, what it is that we're going to make a big deal of, and what it is that we're going to say, hey, you know what, you, you, can't, you can't die on every hill. And so if you have to choose which thing... And I don't even know if there's necessarily a choice, but there certainly is a degree to which um, are you more outraged by the taking of an innocent life because of the color of his skin? Or are you more outraged because those people that are constantly being oppressed are now protesting in a way that you aren't comfortable with, that you don't feel safe with? It's something that we have to think about as individuals. Where do we stand? And another element into this this large web that is so complicated and so complex, depending on which way you view it, um, there are so many people that are using Martin Luther King quotes to say, well, he never was violent and he never... um, protested any other way than peacefully. The people that I see posting those things are not the oppressed people, are not the people that Martin Luther King was standing up for and fighting for. And so easily we forget Martin Luther King was hated in his time. Yeah, this is going to be a hot take here that's pretty controversial. But I think the perhaps the reason why white America loves Martin Luther King as much as they do is because he died. At the time of his death, he was one of the most hated men in America. That's why he got shot. That's why he he was assassinated. It's because he was making waves that were making people uncomfortable. And he he did it all nonviolently. Uh, but it's interesting that people who quote Martin Luther King talking about how, you know, writing is self-defeating and it's um, you know, it's 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 not going to be the way to bring about lasting change. And that that same address later on, uh, I think it was in a sermon. Martin Luther King says that riots are the language of the unheard. And so, what have you not heard? In what ways have you denied justice? The best way to prevent rioting and chaos in the streets is to no longer delay justice. Right, and. 
again, we are not saying it's okay to go out there and riot and, you know, it's okay. They're angry people. It's fine. Like if that's what they got to do, that's what they got to do. That's certainly not what we're saying, but we're saying as all of this is happening, do not lose sight of the bigger picture because what happens when we start to lose sight of the bigger picture and we start focusing on all of these other details, um, we miss the change that needs to come in our systems, in our government, in our society. And as people who are not being oppressed, it's far more important for you to just sit and listen and listen to the people who are being oppressed and who are living in this every single day of their life. Because as Christians, there should be this deep conviction that every man and woman is made in the image of God. And as image bearers, we should care for their life and defend them when others aren't caring for their lives. Yeah, and we need to be willing to not only believe these things. I, I've been seeing it said a lot that it's not enough to be not racist, that we have to be vocally anti-racism. Right. That, that we need to use our voices. There's a sense in which you, you do have this this platform and if we're all in agreement against uh, racism, against systemic issues that are that are uh, agents of oppression, then as that collective voice gets louder, then that's what enables change. Because if you look at the cases of Ahmaud Aubrey, before that video came out and there was widespread outcrying for justice, there was no justice. Because and that his... His case happened back in February. Is, mm-hmm. is that right? And the people who killed him weren't arrested until the video came out and people spoke up about it. Right. That's when. And I'm sure those communities were speaking up. I'm sure they were not silent, but it took more voices. It took this large collective set of voices to actually bring forth change. And in the same way, if the. If there wasn't a video of George Floyd, would Derek Chauvin be in custody right now? Probably not. And it's probably not. And the reason why we know that is because this wasn't the first time he had a complaint against him that was the result of the death of a person of color. And so there's power in large numbers of us speaking against this and large numbers of us gathering uh, to protest this there's there's power in that if we are all asking for not asking for demanding the same thing which is justice then then that's when we're going to start to see these oppressors held accountable and we're going to start to see the change that we want to see and i even have just a just a personal example of that i used to work as a pastor at a church and there was you know one sunday where Uh, I was given the topic to talk about racial justice on a Sunday morning in a sermon. And I remember saying, this is a few years ago, when the Black Lives Matter movement kind of was was first beginning. And I remember saying like, hey, when, when people say Black Lives Matter, you don't need to rebuke them and say all lives matter. Because that's negating the, the issue of what we're talking about here. We don't want to be colorblind, right? Because it matters, that someone is a person of color. It matters. Their, their blackness matters. It, 
is a, an important part of them. It's a beautiful part of them. If someone is Latino, that matters. If they're Asian, that matters. It's a part of who they are. We want to not negate that because really when we say that we're negating that, that you know I don't see color, is that really what I'm saying is I expect everybody to act according to the norms and the preferences of the dominant culture and to just whitewash all of these cultures. That their skin may be darker, but really there's nothing unique about them because they have been folded into white culture. They've been folded into the dominant culture. And so I said, that's not good. And so don't say that uh, as a rebuke that all lives matter. We know that all lives matter, but that's not what's in question here. What's in question is that black lives matter and black lives do matter. I said that in a sermon, and I honestly didn't think that I was saying anything revolutionary. I thought, I mean, it seems, seems to make sense to me, but that sermon literally like almost cost me my job. That there was an elder meeting, that there were literally elders who, who wanted disciplinary action taken against me. I got hate mail saying that I was the one that was racist. I just received such a deep backlash from that um, that that really that gave me pause. I thought we were on the same page with this. And really, to my shame, after that, I got a whole lot quieter. And I would talk about this with people I knew who who agreed with me. But by and large, on my social media platforms, on uh, the platforms I was given to speak, it's not something that I... I talked about much after that. I guess I just didn't want to deal with the, the backlash of that. I think I'm realizing now that's, that was wrong to, to backpedal on that. Not that I backpedal on my beliefs and not that I said anything to the contrary. I just began to become silent to it. But really, if we want to affect change, then we can't just talk about this with people who agree with us. Because then we're just this echo chamber, we're riling each other up, and it's the same thing. I need to be willing to step into a space with those who don't agree with what I'm saying and to really fight back for the, these ideals, to fight back for this truth and to not shrink away from that. What good does it do to be silent about injustice? There's no good that can come from it. And really, in recent months, I've resolved that I'm I'm not going to back down. Or I'm not going to be silent. I'm not going to only talk about this with people who agree with me. Right. And that's hard because it means uncomfortable conversations. And it could even mean like disagreements that you were thinking, wow, I don't, I don't even want to have to be put into this situation with this person who I consider a friend or a family. I certainly have people around me who don't agree with us. They don't agree with the fact that there's any type of systematic racism happening. And that is mind-blowing to me. It's completely baffling. How can you say that? It, it doesn't even seem like it's, it's a debate. It, it's just a fact that we're dealing with and we need to fix that fact. But I don't understand how it's, it's a debate in any way, shape, or form. It's beyond my comprehension at this point. Um, but I mean, if it's a but conversation it's we need to still continue to have, right. and we still need to, to find support for this, I, I suppose that's what we have to do. But all, all that means is that we just need to continue to promote, uh, the stories of, mm. of people of color, promote the voices yeah. of people of color. 
Right, because how do you deny the videos that are being spread all across social, social media? How do you deny a man who was jogging and got shot down? There are those that argue that race had nothing to do with that. Wow. And honestly, I feel overwhelmed. This problem is so massive and it's so deep and it's so complex. Most people think I'm 100% white. And so in all honesty, I haven't had to deal with any of this. I haven't had to personally deal with oppression because of the color of my skin. I was even up the other night thinking like, Lord, what can I do? I have to do something. I know it's an issue. I see it happening. What can I do? How can I act? Because I don't just want to be posting things on social media and saying like, I disagree with this. This is terrible and this is disgusting and this is dehumanizing people. Like there has to be action steps that we can actually take. Even if you're not a person who's being oppressed, you can still fight for those who are. And I feel overwhelmed. This is huge. For some people, you're having to convince them that this is even a problem. And that feels like really overwhelming because how do you get through to somebody who, who's so close-minded? Um, and then And then there's the other issue of like, how do we fix this in our government? How do we fix this in our society? How do we fix this in every system that it's ingrained into? It all feels really overwhelming. And what I have to continue to tell myself is don't allow being overwhelmed to stop you from acting. And so I'm still trying to find what are actionable steps that I can do. And we've talked about this, like what can we do? And there might be a lot of you out there that feel that way. Or there might be some of you who who are just realizing this is an issue. Um, and it might not be intentional, but for whatever reason, you just weren't made aware of this because of maybe the community you're living in and it, you haven't been faced with it. I certainly don't think you should feel any guilt or shame for that. But as you are made aware of it, there certainly is a call to respond that we cannot shy away from. Right. And this isn't to say that if, if you're white, you're evil because, you know, both of us are white. And so it's not half. It's not. Yeah. Half white. Uh, I'm half Mexican. If you can believe it. If yeah, you, we if both you look are. at my face, no it doesn't quite that. look like it. But, I don't think anyone believes that for either one of us. No. So I'm basically, you know, passably completely white, even culturally speaking. This isn't to say that if you're white, you're evil, but there is, it is to say that if you were a part of the dominant culture, then you do have a certain privilege, and your privilege is that if you want to, you can say this is not a problem because it's not a problem for me, hmm. and I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to think about it because it's kind of uncomfortable, and there are these other voices that are saying, you know, it's not even real, and so I can choose to just ignore this, and I can choose to continue to say I don't see color. I continue to say that... You know, there are good white people and bad white people and good black people and, and bad black people, and we all just do our best. You have that option. I think what we're urging you to, is, is to not take that option because yeah. that is the option that is antithetical to the way of Jesus. Because Jesus, mm. though he was in the form of God, considered equality with God, not something that he wanted to hold on to, but he took on the form of a servant. And he literally gave everything that he had 
for those who would put their faith in him. And the people that he spent his time with were the marginalized, were the people who had no power in society. All the people that, that were underprivileged, those are the people that he came to spend time with. Those are the people that he came to lift up. And he also came to, to lift up the people who were in that dominant group. But being people in that dominant group, we have this obligation to not use the privileges that we've been given to stamp people down. Hmm. But to use that privilege to step into a conversation where we can become a learner, a listener, right, and an advocate. So this is a really messy conversation. There's a lot of things left unsaid that we probably could have said, probably should have said. So we appreciate you being gracious with us. And we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear resources you have, your experiences. We'd love for you to share those with us. And we can share those with others as well as we kind of seek to work together towards a brighter tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Her and Him podcast. If you enjoyed hanging out with us, consider subscribing to the podcast to receive it automatically each week. We'd also love it if you head over to iTunes to leave us a rating and review. And be sure to come visit us at herandhim.com where you'll find show notes for this episode, our blog, and other resources to help you experience the abundant life that Jesus promised to us. Thanks again. We'll see you next week. Testing, testing, testing. Check one, two. One, two, check, check. Testing, testing. Want to learn more about God and his will for your life one verse at a time? I'm Quinice Petway, co-host of the Your Daily Bible Verse podcast. I'm inviting you to tune in and subscribe at lifeaudio.com.